you know, I know when it happened, I was sitting in my head thinking, what could I have done different? Um, you know, when you ask someone how they're doing, do you really mean it? When you answer someone back, how are you doing? Are you, are you really telling them the truth? Um, you know, we live in a society of social networks and Twitter pages and Facebook, and that's, that's fine and stuff, but, you know, we have contact with our work associates, our family, our friends, and um, yeah, it seems like half the time we're more preoccupied with our phone and other things going on instead of the actual relationships we have in front of us. And hopefully people can learn from this and try to actually figure out if someone's battling something, you know, deeper on the inside than what they may be revealing on a day-to-day -day basis. Brady Quinn with, I think, some much-needed perspective as the sportscasters offer our condolences to all of those affected by the tragedy in Kansas City on Saturday. Welcome to the Sportscasters Season 3, Episode number 4. It is December 4th, 2012, in a very balmy and warm Buffalo, New York. Yeah, no kidding. Have a great show lined up for you today. Um... Phil Taylor, the author of the Backpage column of SI.com, is going to be on the show today. Tommy Tomlinson is going to be on the show today from SportsOnEarth.com. And Chris Burke from Sports Illustrated. Uh, he does the Audible's blog for the NFL for SI.com. He's going to be on the program as well. Uh, don't forget to check out episode three of Season 3 of the podcast featuring interviews with the Puck Daddy, Greg Wyshynski. Um, a really great interview we did with a guy named Ben Austin who wrote a really fantastic article about Buffalo and the relationship that the city has with the Bills. And Rob Meesh, the author of The Last, the Last Natural, uh, a book about the National League Rookie of the Year, uh, Bryce Harper. All right. Um... Also, don't forget Cold Hard Football Facts and Football Nation. Uh, we have a podcast over at the Football Nation website, www.footballnation.com. And on our podcast this week, we have Adam Rank talk a little bit about fantasy football for the last time over there on this season with Rank, who always does it in a very fun and playful way. And I think, you know, the first time we had Rank on, like, when he was just started to be Damashek's right hand man. Right. I think we've seen his I don't know if I want to say stardom, but his relevance it's definitely a progression, yeah. His relevance in sports media grow. I sure. I think he's done a great job in using his personality to uh earn more fans. Yeah, and you can uh tell the Dave is rubbed off on him. If you watch any of the the fantasy show, which I don't even think Dave does anymore on the NFL Network, but Rank is a huge part of it, and he's a good part of it. Yeah, so we're really looking forward to that, and you can find that at www.footballnation.com. All right, uh, so Phil Taylor, uh, Tommy Tomlinson, and Chris Burke, and we'll start it all off with three things. Let's play a game, all right? Count of three. All righty, I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. 
history. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right. On the sportscasters proper this week, we have drawn the card of looking back at was what was week 13 of the NFL season. And if you listen to our Football Nation podcast this week, you'll be able to hear us look ahead to week 14 yep. of the NFL season. Uh, week 13 got off to a horrible start for me. And, you know, if you listen to the football, Football Nation podcast last week, you heard me talk about how much it hurts when the Saints lose and it's Breeze's fault. Holy cow. And I can't believe I had to sit <laughs> through that two times in a row. Wow. Because it was Breeze's fault again. Uh, the Saints would have never lost that game if Breeze played anywhere near the level that Drew Breeze usually plays. Uh, I think he had five interceptions. It seemed like he wanted to throw seven. Um, there was one point where he was intercepted. It was called back on a penalty, and on the very next play, he just threw another interception. The Saints only lost this game by ten points, and Drew Brees threw five picks. Yeah, I, it's no secret that you're a Saints fan. I'm a Bills fan. You can draw some parallels. Now, the Saints are a playoff team most years, probably. Maybe the Bounty Gate did affect them at the beginning of the year, and well, all I think that. what we're seeing is what Bounty Gate has affected is. Drew Brees, I think it's weighed on him, and I think he is at the point where he just can't carry it all on his, sh- his shoulders anymore. Do you know if he's getting any flack about his contract this year? Not really. No, I, I think he. I don't that, have the pulse he of that the... contract before sure. Bounty Gate and before this season. Well, the parallel I was going to draw to the Saints and the Bills is the Saints. We talked about probably for the first, I don't know, nine. Eight nine weeks is having a historically bad defense, and now the the defense has played some solid games. Far from historically bad, goes on the road, shut Roddy White out, right to a high powered Atlanta Falcons team, and only gives up twenty three points held, with five picks. Held Matt Ryan to one hundred and sixty five yards passing. Right, I mean nobody. Michael Turner had eighty three yards rushing. He probably had them all in the first quarter. Right. I mean, same thing with the Bills. The Bills, when the offense has been good, the defense has been terrible. Then lately, the defense has been okay, and the offense has been terrible. It just when things go bad for both of our teams lately, it seems like Drew Brees nobody would, picks them Drew up. Drew Brees would never admit this, but I can feel it. He's mentally he's shot. Yeah, mentally he's shot, and he knows that they blew a chance against San Francisco at home to put themselves into sixth place and a playoff spot. And then with only four days to recover, he just wasn't he just wasn't there mentally. And he made mistake after mistake after mistake and it killed him. Well we talked about it last week there was about five or six teams fighting for one spot in the NFC. Don, uh, 436 yards to 238 yards. <laughs> yeah. 33 minutes of possession to 26 minutes of possession. Yep, that, that's five picks. We'll five do, we'll to one, that. though. Yep. Five to one in turnovers. So they're done now. They're done. Yeah, I thought. I kind of thought all along they'd be a playoff team. Now I finally think that I, it, there's just too many teams for them to hop over. There's still only one game back of, I think, the wild card They spot. could easily finish 9-7 and seven and not make it. Right. 
But uh, what do they do next week? They go into the Giants, who kind of need a win because Washington and Dallas are nipping at their heels now, and Washington got a big win over the Giants. Well, I think what, the they, Giants. what they do next week depends on what Breeze does. Yeah. Because I really honestly see the progression week after week with the defense. The defense isn't any more, okay, fantasy football, get all the guys playing the Saints in. <laughs> right. They're not to that point anymore. They're better than that now. Maybe not a lot better than that, but better than that. And I see the progression each week there. And I think it's just simply going to be able to come down to can Breeze break out of this. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see because now they're playing kind of meaningless games. Uh, They're playing games for their fantasy fans and pride, I guess, at this point. Oh, and uh, Drew Breeze is... Consecutive touchdown streak ended. Streak yeah. ended, and you know what that means is that's not going to be his streak in eleven weeks. It'll be Tom Brady's. Oh, I didn't realize they were that close. Yeah. So Bills and Jags played a meaningless game, and the Bills won a meaningless game impressively, I guess you can say. But it was against the Jaguars, who had played better lately, but wasn't just, even that close. Jags no. had attack on touchdown late. Yeah. So good, I guess. Hopefully. Uh, local talk talks a little bit about how the Bills need a quarterback, and everybody knows they need a quarterback. And they said that winning these games might actually ha- improve their chances of getting yep, a quarterback. because there's really no top, top-level quarterbacks. And the year. Bills refuse to reach. They always grab the guy that they think is the best value at that spot. So The best quarterback might go around 12 this year. Right, So and that's probably where they're going to pick right now. Seahawks win another game on the last play under review. Uh, this time I think they got the review right. It looked like uh, Sidney Rice kind of looking like Cuba Gooding Jr. in Jerry Sean McGuire. Lee. Yeah, laying down after scoring the winning touchdown in overtime. And, uh, boy, the Bears are a funny team. Whenever I think they look like a dominant team, they go out and lose to a Seattle team. And they really lost it all on it over, like, the last two drives. It just seemed like Seattle had them all figured out, and, and that was that. The defense kind of kind of gave gave up or gave up too much to Seattle there. We predicted this. We saw this coming a mile away. We knew that the Vikings had a stockpile as many wins as they could before their bye week. Right, yeah. Because the schedule is too tough after and so far since their bye week they're 0 and 2. Yeah, and despite getting an unbelievable performance from their best player who did everything he could yeah. to put his team on his back they and were up, carry him to victory. They were up at halftime in this game, and for whatever reason, they had Ponder throw. Before halftime, Ponder had thrown the ball maybe five times total. Uh, and for whatever reason, they had him throwing a lot in the did second. They have Peterson they, on a pitch count? He threw, Do they really yeah, think Peterson I don't can't run more than 21 times in the game if he, it, that's what's needed to win? Ponder had him throwing two picks. I think both in the second half, and that was it. They almost had to – they're a team that against a high – they're not a team built to come from behind, so when you got that lead, you just kind of got to pound it, E-clock, and they didn't, and a couple mistakes kind of cost them. I don't think there's a quarterback in the league capable of putting up a stinker the way Christian Ponder can. No. I mean, when he, he is looked good bad, at the end of last year, when too. When he is bad, he is he epically miss, bad. He misses Percy Harvin. For sure. For sure. Uh, the legend of luck grew yeah. last week. Uh, Andrew Luck uh, scored, took his team down two times in the last three minutes to score touchdowns uh, to beat the, the Lions in Detroit. Definitely can say goodbye to the Lions at this point. 
Yeah, you can check out uh, TMQ talk about how poorly they managed the clock at the end of that game. Uh, throwing twice on, I think, second and 10 and then third and 10, both incomplete passes, stopping the clock. If those plays are just rushes for zero yards or even negative yards, maybe there's not enough time for luck to win that game. So the Lions are a team that are great at shooting themselves in the foot, even when they play pretty well for the most part. They're somewhere in a room... There's like four NFL executives who refresh the standings every five minutes to see if it's still set up for the Colts and the Broncos to play <laughs> in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, that's because they would they would kill for that. Yeah, they would. That would be the Saturday night game, wild card weekend. You know the main one, and boy would they hype that. Yeah, it'd be a great game too. I I don't think the Colts would have much of a chance, honestly. I don't. I I mean, I think they're the worst eight win team in the league. They just they're not overly impressive to me. The defense isn't great, but I mean, eight things wins are eight wins. Things with them just don't make sense. Yeah. Uh, Texans easily beat the Titans to improve to eleven and one. They actually clinched their division, as did the uh, Broncos. Um, and the Patriots, I believe. And the Patriots sounds right. Uh, the Forty ers uh, and the Rams went 10 quarters this year. Yeah, the Rams just have their number. They were like 30 seconds away from another tie. That would have probably been a first in football history, two ties to the same two teams in a year. A 53-yarder in regulation to tie it and a 54-yarder in regula- in overtime to win it for Legatron. Uh, Jets in just an absolute thriller <laughs> defeated the Cardinals seven to six. Yikes. Guess the story there is Mark Sanchez was finally benched, but Tim Tebow was inactive. inactive yeah. So former Alabama quarterback McElroy came in and I don't know stunk in a game where he threw. I mean, ESPN shows the leaders in pass rush and receiving. If you've never looked at their box scores for each team, Sanchez was the leader in passing, ten for twenty-one for ninety-seven yards. So yeah, his replacement came in five of seven for twenty-nine yards. Twenty-nine yards in a TD. Yep. So on the strength of twenty-nine yards in a TD, he is now their starter, and on the strength of putting up seven points against an impressive Arizona Cardinals team that's lost their last eight straight games. Uh, the Jets are a disaster. I know they have the same record as my disaster Bills, but holy cow, are the Jets. Had, and they blew out the Bills this year, but that was week one. Yeah. Uh, Broncos, Bucks. Broncos, like you said, are just looking like they're they're the, they're rolling. Yep. That's, that's a team as good 21, as anybody. I 21 think. zip in the third quarter. They're a great, great second half team. And Von Miller. Man, can that guy play? I mean, that's an understatement, but. Uh, I wish Damashek was right when he asked us <laughs> way back when if the Bills should have picked Miller, even though he was picked the pick before them. Because, boy, I'd rather have him right now than uh, Darius. Browns beat the Raiders. Good for them. <laughs> uh, the Bengals beat the Chargers, which eliminated the Chargers from yeah, contention it took, it took any in the hope NFC out. West. Uh, the Bengals very much in the playoff hunt. Another weird team. I don't, I don't get the Bengals. The Steelers beat the Ravens. Yeah, great, great emotional win for Charlie Batch. Yeah, he was he pumped. It. He was. I, I think uh, maybe he heard all week that he's washed up, had a noodle arm and all that stuff, and he, he went out and proved something uh, to a lot of people and apparently to himself because he was pretty emotional after that game. So good for him. It's nice to see uh, on the road, too, handing the Ravens only loss of the year at home. 
Whenever the Eagles and Cowboys play, it's a crazy game, and it was, as always. The Cowboys beat the Eagles 38-33. Probably the biggest of thing of note here is DeMarco Murray finally returned from his foot injury and played pretty well. Rushed for 83 yards and had a touchdown, and that's going to be a huge boost for the Cowboys if because the NFC East is suddenly wide open. Yeah. And if the Cowboys are going to be the team that ultimately wins that division, they're going to need the balance of the running that DeMarco Murray provides that Felix Jones just can't. I'd be interested to hear from any fantasy players out there. When he, he, Murray ended up at 23 carries for 83 yards. His twenty When he had 22 carries, he had like 94 yards. I think the only reason they kept him out there may, maybe to see if he could break one for 10 yards or so and get to 100 on his last he also carry, had four catches for 19 yards. His last carry, he actually ran backwards about 15 yards or so. I'd be interested to hear how many fantasy players lost because Murray uh, really Went the didn't, wrong way. Yeah. And then Monday night, um, the Redskins are, are the reason that suddenly the yeah. NFC East is very close. Is RG3 got a win at home on Monday night football? Must have been a great place to be. Wasn't necessarily RG3's greatest game by any means, uh, especially throwing the ball. He's only 13 for 21 with 163 yards. But Alfred Morris, the other rookie on that team, yeah. uh, averaged 5.6 yards a carry, 124 yards total. I heard some one of those weird stats that said something like RG3 and Morris are the first rookie combo to pass for 2,000 and rush for 1,000. Wow. So, yeah, it's interesting. Pierre, Gar- Pierre Garçon is back and looks healthy. Yeah, he looks for that, real. That seems to make a difference. So, if you had eight been, catches, 106 yards, and a TD. If you stashed him in your league, he's always dangerous to break one. So, and know. he got the big game winner. Yep. So, uh, a couple other games we didn't mention just real quickly. We're going to talk more about this Chiefs and Panthers game in a minute. So, we'll get to that. And, uh,. We we skipped over Patriots and Dolphins for some reason, right? Yeah, divisional game. The Dolphins hung in there, I guess, and the Patriots are just a better team. But uh, that's yeah. the Dolphins team, I guess. I had been kind of thinking was close to looking like a good team until the last couple of weeks, where they hadn't looked that good. But they got up for good competition. Apparently, just just not enough talent there in the end. All right, week thirteen of the NFL. Yeah, uh, my second, or your second thing. Go ahead. All right, my second thing. Um, college basketball is about 10 games in, 8 games in, and you probably haven't noticed because it's not college basketball time. So I figured I'd take a look. What's going on, you know? And the number one team in the country is still Indiana, who was the number one team in the country before the season started stupid (laughs) the number two team in the country is duke and i have no idea why duke isn't the number one team in the country check this out so far duke has beaten the number three team in the country the number two team in the country and the number four team in the country with two of those three big victories being on neutral courts. Yeah. So they did beat Ohio State in uh, Cameron Indoor, but they beat the University of Kentucky on a neutral floor and Louisville on a neutral floor. And so far, I know there's some Duke haters out there, but they 
sure do seem like the cream of the crop in college basketball. If you look at Indiana and what they've done to earn their 8-0 record is basically one win against the top 25 team, which was a home game against North Carolina, which they dominated. Yeah, preseason they won by a significant amount. Preseason polls are stupid, and uh, fortunately in college basketball, they don't tend to mean much. Rounding out the top 10, uh, you got Michigan at 3, Syracuse at 4, Louisville at 5, Florida at 6, Ohio State at 7, Arizona at 8, Kansas at 9, and Gonzaga at 10. All right, my second thing, it's been 80 days of stupid or 80 days of dumb or whatever uh, Greg Wyshynski calls it. And I got to say, uh, I love hockey, and I'm not missing it yet. And that's the problem that these guys have got to work through. I heard that they're getting together today along with some big-name players like Crosby and uh, I'm not sure who else. I think Taves maybe. You guys got to figure this out. I think Ryan Miller actually went there too. These guys got to figure it out Rory now. Fitzpatrick. or not. I'm not sure if Rory Fitzpatrick was there. Mm. But uh, they got to figure it out now or not at all. At this point, I don't want to see a 40-game season. I could care less if they played. I'll miss it when football's over, I suppose, and I've got nothing to do on a Wednesday night. But the players, I, I think this is all being held up by the richest of the players because I think there's no way the guys out there like the – uh, Patrick Coletta's are fighting for this money. It's it's ridiculous. I heard there's something like five hundred thousand dollars apart over the course of like five years, which is so negligible. It's it's stupid. It seems like it's turned into a pissing match, and the only people losing are the fans and the people who have like jobs that depend on this, like restaurants and the guys that park your cars and all that type of thing, and. Uh, for the third time in, what, 18 years or whatever, the NHL is showing that they don't care about those people. And you're a niche sport. This is Buffalo. We love hockey. And people aren't talking about this. They're talking about the Bills who suck again. Uh, hockey's got to learn this. They had a good thing going, too. They had a nice TV deal. They were kind of building up some momentum. They had the Kings win a Stanley Cup. And they immediately uh, help all that out. Just... Stop all that momentum by going on strike again. <sighs> That's what I have to say about that. Yeah. All right, my third thing. Congratulations to LeBron James, of all people, being named the Sportsman of the Year wow. by SI. Now, who would have predicted that? Nobody in Cleveland. Two years ago when LeBron James declared that he was taking his talents, talents to, to Cleveland. But if you followed this show, you've kind of noticed – a softening on LeBron and the way that we felt about them and the guests that we've talked to yeah. have felt about them. His second year in Miami really had no resemblance to his first year. He's Something happened between year one and two where LeBron realized that to be the kind of superstar he wanted to be in sports there was some changes he needed to make and he made them and uh the magazine has announced that uh he's the first player to win the award since his heat teammate Dwayne Wade in 2006 uh he was nominated by our buddy Chris Ballard each uh of the senior writers at SI nominates a um player 
right. from their perspective sport to uh, win the award. Uh, the He'll be on the cover of SI for the December 10th issue. You want to try to take a guess how many times that'll be that LeBron James will be on the cover? 20. Close, 18. Hmm. And uh, our good buddy Lee Jenkins is going to write the story. Uh, past winners include Muhammad Ali, Jack Nicholas, Wayne Gretzky, Arthur Ashe, Tom Brady, Derek Jeter, and Michael Phelps. Congratulations Le- to you, LeBron James. And if this would have happened a year ago, man, would I have been pissed. But right now, <laughs> I feel like you deserved it. Sure. Uh, my last thing this week, it'd be impossible not to mention the Jovan Belcher, a player who most people probably didn't know of until this week, and now they know of him for all the wrong reasons. Uh, he got in a fight with his longtime girlfriend, whose name I should have in front of me, but don't. Um, in their house, and apparently details of this are kind of trickling out, but I guess they were both avid gun users. I'm not sure if the guns were legal, illegal. But her mother was there, right? Her mother was there with her their three-month-old child. Uh they got in some sort of fight. They both went out the night before. She was at a concert. He was at some clubs or something. He ended up sleeping in his car. Uh, the police woke him up in the morning, said he was okay to drive home. He drove home. He got in some arg- argument with his longtime girlfriend, basically about, I think, how long she stayed out, something. It was not a big deal. It's Cassandra Perkins. Cassandra Perkins, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mother said she heard him say something to her along the lines of you can't talk to me that way and he shot her uh he then walked past his mom or apparently he kissed her on kissed his girlfriend and said i'm sorry uh i don't have the exact quote in front of me but he he's a disturbed guy he walks past his mother tells him to keep an eye on the, the kid and goes to the the chief's facility where he talks to the coach, the general manager, I believe the owner. It was uh, it was Scott Pioli and Romeo Crenell. Okay, the offensive coordinator, not the owner. Sorry. Um, right, and they try to talk him out of it, and he kind of ducks behind his car and says something along the lines of, I can't be here anymore, and he shoots himself. The Chiefs apparently have tried to help him for a long time. He's a troubled guy, and uh, it's just a tragedy. I don't know what goes – he seemed to be a guy – I don't know. I don't want to make any statements about him because I don't know him. Maybe – I'm not sure he was necessarily suicidal before he killed his girlfriend, but I think at that point everything had unraveled. Maybe it was a rash decision. Uh, in the midst of a fight, like I said, they were gun users, and I guess they had plenty of guns just around the house. So maybe in the heat of the moment, he got upset, shot his girlfriend, and then saw no other way out for himself. He went to the to talk to the chiefs. To he said something along the lines of "Take care of my 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 child." So I guess that was a nice thing for him to do. But boy, it's just a hard. That's a that's a tough situation for Am the Am I the world. only one who thought CTE the second they heard this? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about the guy. But it it sounds like one of those things people say with CTE, you black out, you'll do things while, and you won't remember them at all. He, 
like I said, he had a history to some extent with mental illness might be strong, but they were trying everything in their power to help him, I guess. And it didn't work. And I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, we could argue about whether or not the game should have went on. Uh, the players voted on it, said it should. Then fine. So, right. Unbelievable. Yeah, just a, just a rough rough story from the sports world. And uh, they really transcend sports. And Deadspin, or no, uh, SB Nation is where we where I played that clip from. It's not necessarily their clip, but they that's where I had the article. And it said, uh, ten, the end of their article, says tens of millions of Americans struggle with mental health issues, some more serious than others. The most important takeaway from all this is just to take Quinn's advice, Brady Quinn. Talk to someone. Over the next week, we're about to hear and an, about to experience an endless stream of sermonizing and suggestions, outrage and horror for a senseless act of violence committed by a man who obviously needed help. Ignore all of it. Just remember Quinn's words, his alts, his call to action. Get to know a friend. Spend more time with your son or daughter. Call your mother. Talk to your spouse. These connections make life richer and make all of us healthier and happier people. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I Like I said, I we can all talk about this guy, but nobody really knew of him. He was an anonymous backup, I believe. I, I've never heard his name in my life before, but... Uh, just a really heartbreaking story from Kansas City. Well, like we said, uh, kind of at the top, God bless everyone affected by the yeah. tragedy, and hopefully we can get more answers. Our first guest today is from Queens, New York, and is a graduate of Amherst College. He went on to earn a master's degree from Stanford University. After college, he began his career as a sports writer and columnist for the Miami Herald, the San Jose Mercury News, and the now-defunct Sports Daily, The National. He is a world-class writer that has won many journalism awards, including the 1987 Associated Press Sports Editor Award for feature writing. In 1990, he joined Sports Illustrated, where today he is a senior writer and the author of the famed Backpage column. He is making a second appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the esteemed and talented Phil Taylor. How are you doing today, Mr. Taylor? I'm doing well, Steve. Thanks for that uh, nice introduction. Yeah, you know, we really look forward to having really any guest on, but we really look forward to having a guest on for a second time. I don't know. It just makes us feel like maybe we did a sort of a good job last time. And so we're really excited to have you this second time. And, you know, I've just been reading these back page columns and I don't know maybe what you think, but to me, when we talked last time, you were kind of just getting into it. The rotation had kind of just ended. Um, You had just kind of, finished alternating, I think, with Piznanski, and right. you were just kind of starting to do it 
weekly. And it seems like now you're to a point having done it every week where you really are getting more and more comfortable with it. How do you assess the back page column at this point in the evolution of Phil Taylor's back page column? Yeah, I think you get it. I, I, I am getting um, more comfortable with it. I think I have found that writing it on a, on a weekly basis, writing it every week, um, helps me, I mean, I'm going to sound like an athlete here, but get in a rhythm, you know? I feel like uh, I know what I've written the week before, and I know, so I, I kind of have a feel for what I want to write the next week so that it's something that's not similar to if I've written something kind of humorous the week before, then maybe I'll come back with a, with an issue-oriented uh, piece or something or, or something that I can report and um, is maybe would be more kind of emotional or compelling. So you, you sort of get into a, a rhythm in which you start to, everything kind of works together. It, it's not, you're not just writing that one column that one week. You're writing a nut, you're kind of writing another chapter in the, in the, in the book, basically. And so, um, I think maybe things start to fit together and I, and I start to feel more comfortable in, in the ideas that I come up with because I kind of know kind of what, what sort of tone of a column um, it's time for. Are you so, um, I think, yeah, I think basically I'm more comfortable. Are you often working on more than one at once, or is it truly one week, one column? Uh, I'm, I'm sometimes working on more, more than one at once. Um, it tends to be, well, I'll put it this way. I'm working on, on more than one idea at once, um, and sometimes those ideas don't pan out for whatever reason. The timing isn't right. Something else happens in the sports world that, that, that knocks it that knocks it out. Um, but, but usually I'm, I'm ha- I have maybe a second or third idea that's that I'm, that's percolating. That maybe I'm starting to make a few calls on that sort of thing while I'm writing that week's column. So yeah, you try not to get into a situation where. Um, you know, it's the beginning of the week, and boy, I have a blank slate. I don't have a single idea. That's that's when I really feel like I'm in trouble, and that's happening less and less as I as I get more acclimated to the job. Do you have a favorite so far? A favorite column? Um, I I like different ones for different reasons. Um, I probably, you know, there's there's one that I like that um, was about. Um, about this last time, so because it, it was a while ago, but it was a mother's column. It was about a guy who um, who had, was supposed to be on a plane that crashed, and the guy that took his place was a friend of his, and uh, and and his friend died in the crash in his place, and then he he later met the friend's mother and apologized, and the, the mom not only forgave him but almost adopted him and treated him like a surrogate son, and they have now this great relationship. And I wrote it as a as a Mother's Day column, and it was. It was a pretty touching uh, story, and um, it, it probably got more response from readers than anything that I've ever written. So, um, you know, that that stands out. Um, uh, it, you know, it's funny when I, I have a hard time picking favorites um, for a couple of reasons. One is I, I kind of see the flaws in everything that I write. Um, and the other is that once I've written a column, it goes out of my mind so quickly that it's hard for me to then, uh, recall them. I'm always thinking about the next one, I guess. So it's hard to, unless I have some, have them in front of me, it's hard to recall written even the, you know, the week or two before. 
Do you consider what the theme of that week's magazine is going to be at all? For example, when the NBA preview issue is going to be the next edition of the magazine, do you try to find a column that would fit well in the overall NBA preview issue of the magazine? Um, I try, but not too hard. Um, it's not really thing that necessarily fits. And so, uh, if I if I have an idea that fits, I'll definitely um, do it. But I don't I don't stretch. I don't go out of my way to make sure something fits. A couple of years ago, during for the uh, NFL preview issue, I wrote a story, uh, wrote a column, questions, um, prediction. In SI, in SI in particular, and as sports writers in general are wrong. And you know, SI hasn't picked the, the correct Super Bowl at the beginning of the season. The, the two Super Bowl teams they haven't picked them correctly since I don't know when. It's a long time. Maybe not in my tenure at the magazine. And so I wrote about that, and and actually went to a to a um, fortune teller and asked her for her predictions, and she knew nothing about sports and. Uh, she predicted that year, it was a couple of years ago, she predicted that year that a team from New York would win. And I said, the Giants? And she said, no, uh, it would be, the, their nickname is shorter. And I said, uh, well, there's the, there are the Jets. And she said, yes, I think that's it, it's the New York Jets. And everybody laughed at that at the beginning of the season. And as it turned out, the Jets went to the AFC Championship game that year and almost uh, almost made that prediction come true. But, uh, yes, in, in, so in answer to your question, I do... It, it, I, I take it into consideration if there's a special issue, and I'll I'll try to uh, find something. But if I don't, I don't. Um, one one other one that um, actually did fit was we did an issue a few weeks ago that where speed was kind of the theme of it. Uh, we did a lot of uh, we did features on um, uh, some players who were very fast and and how the uh, how the uh, NFL game had, had speeded up and and Oregon's offense and those sorts of things. And my column that week was about the knuckleball because it was kind of in a, a counterpoint to the speed issue. Here was, the, you know, all this emphasis on speed, and it's funny how this, the slowest pitch in baseball is kind of having this renaissance with R.A. Dickey um, and, and the knuckleball movie documentary that came out. So um, in that way, it was kind of related to the issue. So every now and then it happens, but um, I, don't, I don't make too much of an effort. You know, when something happens like the run that Notre Dame has went on all of a sudden or uh, Chuck Pagano gets sick and the Colts go on the run that they go on, do things like that make you think, I gotta, I gotta get out there and, and get something with these stories? These stories are too big. I, I gotta be a part of this. Um, yeah, sometimes the, there are stories that are so big that I feel like I, I really need to write about them. Um, when the when the Jerry Sandusky scandal first broke at Penn State, I had already written a column for that week, um, and I scrubbed it, and only only had I had less than a day to, to write the uh, to write another column. But I just felt we had to have something. Um, I, I needed to weigh in um, that story, and and so I did. Um, but um, in, in a lot of cases, the Timing is such that um, it does. I don't feel compelled to go write about the, the big story of the day because you know we we know that in our magazine uh, as a weekly, by the time it, it we come out, 
the story may have been pretty pretty well documented and uh, and covered. And uh, so something like Chuck Pagano or things like that, um, while they would make definitely compelling columns, aren't I feel as though they're things that I I have to do. I that's more for um, columnists who write for the for the internet who write on on websites because of the immediacy. Um, Sports Illustrated is still. You know, uh, we were a little, a little less timely because of uh, the magazine itself, and so um, I don't always feel as though I just have to go um, write about whatever's making headlines that that day or even that week. Do you feel like you're settling into this, and this is something you want to do long term now? You know, it's funny. It's, as I as I get settled, and as I said, I do feel more comfortable. I also miss writing features. I write, I miss um, writing long pieces, writing cover stories, those sorts of things. And I'm unable to do that with the when I with the, the job I have now. And so I I don't see this as being something that I want to do exclusively for the next five years. I think I would I'd like to keep doing it. Um, you know, on a regular basis for a while. I'm not sure how long a long while is. But um, I also want to be able to mix in other types of stories, longer uh, stories, long uh, bonus pieces, and so um, it, it, it's. I'm in this very small window. I think where I feel really comfortable with it, but I have the feeling that that's not going to last. I'm going to get antsy um, before too long. So um, it's. I'm, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle right now. But but no, I don't think. As much as I enjoy doing it, it's um, it's not something I, I want to do exclusively for a long time. We talked last time about how you were kind of coming up with some ideas on how the back page column could evolve, um, some tweaks that you could make to the format of it. Have you looked into that anymore or experimented with that at all with the editors? Well, it's been um, it, it's been a difficult, not a difficult time, but there's been a lot of upheaval with Sports Illustrated over the yep. last few months. Yep. As you probably know, yep. and so I think the feeling was uh, let's not change too much too quickly. And the the, the types of columns that I have been writing, um, and you know, had been working, and it seems like readers had liked them. So um, I haven't tweaked too much or, or made uh, too many dramatic departures from the style. Um, that may be coming in the future, uh, but but uh, but actually, for right now, we we kind of felt as though maybe a certain amount of stability would be a good thing for the magazine. So it's been generally the same sorts of, of columns, you know, sometimes amusing, sometimes issue-oriented, sometimes maybe maybe touching, um, uh, those sorts of things that that, uh, that readers have seemed to like, and, and, and I still enjoy doing them. So there may be a little more experimentation coming up in, in the future, but not so much right now. The back page column at SI is hollow ground really because of the work that Rick Riley did all those years um, with his Life of Riley column. Uh, do you have any thoughts about how, how and, and maybe you can take Riley out of it and, and just look at the arc of a sports writer, but how does somebody get from being a guy who's created one of the most hallowed pieces of sports journalism to a guy who's on TV demanding that his Twitter feed is credited? Well, <laughs> that's a good question. 
Um, I, I'll, say, I'll say first that I, I do think, as you said, that, that Rick Riley made the back page of Sports Illustrated into hallowed ground. It's like for sports writers, that, that's like, uh, you know, um, just playing shortstop for the Yankees or quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. And, and it wasn't that before he took over, and he turned it into that. And so I do... I guess I take issue to some degree, and maybe it's because I'm, you know, I'm not that much younger than Rick, and and uh, so I'm, I'm, I guess the old guard too, and I just when I hear people um, denigrate him, not that that's what you're doing, but you know, places like Deadspin and and reader right. comments everywhere seem to mock him. Um, I just I I get the feeling, I just think this guy did something. If, if he never did anything, if he wrote terrible stories every day of the, of his life for the rest of his life, he would still, it would still not, um, you know, counteract the, the, uh, the accomplishments that, that he's, that he's, um, had that he's achieved during his career. And so I, I, I guess I feel like who are these people to, to, to mock Rick Riley or say that he's a hack or things like that, even if he's not doing the quality of work, that he once did, that quality was so high that maybe it was impossible to maintain. I, I don't know. And I do know that Rick once told me that writing the, not just the column, but some of the features, the great features that he wrote about Marge Schott and Brian Gumbel, he said that those took years off his life. I mean, they were so, they took, they were so time intensive. They took so much research, so much time to write and to craft. And I, and I think you know, for people in the business, I think we should be able to understand how that might not be something that, that is sustainable over the course of a long career. So, so that's what I would say about Rick Riley. I, I, I have a problem with people who just bash him as though all the great work he did um, suddenly goes out the window. It's However, a, I was um, gonna yeah. Say, I was going to say it's almost like bashing Michael Jordan for his Wizards work and ignoring everything right. he did with the Bulls. Right, exactly. I mean, nothing, nothing that those guys do um, in their second act could could possibly wipe out the greatness of their first one. So, I think I think that should be remembered. Um, uh, I do I do think that um, what's happened to Rick is partly a, a result of of the changing of the journalism culture, the medium of the media culture, and it became I think for him and I, he hasn't told me this. Um, but this is my kind of what I've kind of my, my assumptions, I guess, to some degree and from things that he has said, I think that it, it just became, it felt to him like he wasn't playing in the varsity game anymore at, at, at Sports Illustrated on the back page because the culture changed into a degree in which, um, the, the there is, there's no columnist who had kind of platform and voice, the SI columnist of the, 80s and 90s had. Um, there are just too many voices out there now, and a lot of good ones, and a lot of good, thoughtful columnists. And um, so it was hard to stand out, even with great columns. Uh, and I'm finding that myself. And I think that he also felt as though the place to be was was uh, in a more electronic medium, where his face would be more recognizable, where the things that he did write would be on the, the, the first place that people went to ESPN.com. Um, and so I just feel as though that was part of the, the, the driving force that made him leave Sports Illustrated. There were things that SI just couldn't give him anymore. And, you know, I think maybe he has fallen into the trap of, of that, a feeling as though 
be having a lot of followers on Twitter and having people recognize the airports and being on Sports Center and on the on TV after Monday Night Football. That those are the way to to measure success now, and it's not so much writing a really funny column on the back page of Sports Illustrated. I think that's just you know a person who I think wanted to be. You know, he has an ego, and for someone who kind of wanted to, to still be considered relevant, I think he felt that going to ESPN and, and doing the things that he's, that he's done have been the way to, to be considered relevant. Now, I think it's backfired um, because he's now just another guy at, SI, at, at ESPN to some degree, but, um, and that's unfortunate. But, you know, I know that his contract is, is coming up at, at ESPN, and I hope he figures out figure something out that, uh, you know, is worthy of his talent again. Because I think right now his talent is being wasted. I, I don't think it's disappeared. I think it's just it's just being wasted. So he needs to find a place. And I, I don't know where that is, but I hope he finds it. The Sportscasters are here with Phil Taylor, the author of the Backpage column at S Sports Illustrated. You can find him on Twitter at SI underscore Phil Taylor. Uh, last thing, um, just where do you see this column evolving? Um, well, you know, I, I, I would like to get out and do more reporting. I, one thing I found, um, it's, it's some, it's a little bit easy and you can be, uh, seduced a little bit into writing from your office and writing from your desk and just opining about the events of the day or, um, or, you know, weighing in on, on different things. And so I would like to do more. I'd like to get out a little bit more than I have and, um, and write, you know, write columns from from the site of of an event, or you know, go see the the people who are you know, go see the high school football team that is uh, is playing in the playoffs while they, they try to to uh, dig out from uh, the effects of Superstorm Sandy in New York. Uh, you know, and write write more visual columns, I suppose. Um, I, I like what I've what I've been doing, but I think that I have kind of fallen a little bit into the trap. Of uh, of trying, you know, just trying to to write from my head instead of going out as much as I should be, and uh, and and writing from other, from what other people tell me and from what I see. Um, so that's that's probably the next uh, the next evolution over the next few months is to try to do a little bit more um, of the reported column, just the the feature slash column that uh, illuminates things in in that way rather than just uh, giving my opinion or or summing up uh, the, uh, the events of the week. Well, we really enjoyed it and um, enjoyed kind of, you know, I didn't get to read the first Rick Riley back page column, but I feel like I've been there every step of the way for Phil Taylor, and I've enjo- enjoyed uh, the evolution, and we really appreciate you being on the show today, and uh, have a great and happy holiday season. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate it. Thank- I look forward to my third appearance. All right, we have to thank uh, Phil Taylor for being on the show today. Real quick, real quick book club update. Uh, this has got to be one of the all-time great book club books <laughs> of the month. Uh, it's a book by Jeremy Roenick with Kevin Allen, who's one of the most respected hockey writers sure, of all yeah. time. And it's called J.R., My Life, and the Most Outspoken, Fearless, and Hard-Hitting Man in Hockey. And if you're a hockey fan... 
And if you ever wondered what it was like to be an NHL player, and if you ever wanted to read a book that you knew was true, this is the one to read. Yeah. Because Jeremy Roenick pulls absolutely no punches in this book. Aren't people calling him out on it a little bit, though, for being BS, or are they backing off? I called him out on it. When I, F, when, I, when I read the excerpts and the Puck Daddy was on this show a couple weeks ago, I asked Puck Daddy, Do you, are you buying this? Because the stories, they're out there. Sounds like... Uh, like and the, the, like... More, the more I've read, they're too far out there. <laughs> they're too far out there to be made up. Sounds like uh, like a rock star's book, like Ace Freely or someone who wrote it, a it, kiss tell That's tell-all. exactly what it's like. And the best part is when he was a Blackhawk and Mike Keenan was his coach. <laughs> the battles that him and Mike Keenan went through to get Jeremy Roenick in his room by curfew are legendary. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about Roenick coming through the kitchens of hotels, going up fire escapes crawling through air conditioning docks. I mean, stuff that you read it and you're just like, no fucking way. (laughs) But it just all adds up, adds up, adds up, adds up. And it's like, this might be true. (laughs) Yeah, if it's not, I guess he's a good storyteller. And you know what? I Here's another thing. Kevin Allen is not a guy that would put his name on bullshit. Yeah, you wouldn't think so. I mean, when... Not everyone necessarily knows a lot about Kevin Allen, and I don't. I never had Thanksgiving dinner with him, right? But I do know that he is one of the most respected sports writers, specifically for hockey, right, in the nation. And I don't think he sat down to write bullshit. So, yeah, pick it up, I guess. And hey, it's Jr. Sure. And uh, so, talk about Milbury in there at all. He does. Oh, I hate Mike Milbury. He is, uh, he holds no punches. And uh, cool thing, he, him and uh, Thayer, or excuse me, him and Amante, Tony Amante, okay. played prep school in Boston at Thayer Academy. You think they were pretty good? Yeah, I, I imagine. <laughs> oh, they had JR and Amante at a prep school. <laughs> That's funny. I always think about sometimes how, my brother who plays D1 hockey at Yale, he's no Ronick. Right. But there was times where he'd be playing prep hockey games, and, I mean, no one could touch him. He just would dominate. Right, so to see Ronick. And then I, would, I, I was thinking about what that game must look like when Ronick and Amante are out there. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, Ronick is currently on a book tour in the u.s and we have been promised to have jr with us when the book tour ends so as for right now i'm gonna take their word for it until that'd be quite the get they uh until they screw us (laughs) which wouldn't shock me (laughs) but for right now i'm gonna take uh bill ames that's the uh publicist i'm gonna take his word for it and you know what would be fun is if he does screw us this time wouldn't it be really cool to call him up on the air and be like, hey, Bill, this is the Sportscasters. <laughs> Just wondering, what happened? How come Ronick's not coming on? 
Yeah, I think you got to talk to them. You got to let them know they're being recorded. I think that's the rule now. Like you can't make prank calls anymore. Oh, okay. Well, all right. We'll tell them. <laughs> Our book people have always been pretty good, though. Yeah, I like I said, I I mean, I asked him, and he said when the book tour is over, about midway through, I asked him how the book tour is going. He said it's going great. I said, are we still on for after? And he said yes. So awesome. Hopefully, Jr. will be on soon. That'd be fun. All right, we'll be right back with um, Tommy Tomlinson to talk a little college football. Our next guest today is from Brunswick, Georgia and is a graduate of the University of Georgia. He spent 23 years as a reporter and columnist for the Chicago Observer. He has been named the best local columnist in America by The Week magazine and was a Pulitzer Prize finalist in 2005. He has recently signed on with USA Today Sports Media Group and Major League Baseball Advanced Media to be part of the Sports on Earth website that will also feature the writing of Joe Posnanski. His article on Tumor's Oaks was recently selected by Michael Wilbon to be part of the current uh, Best American Sports Writing Series Anthology. He is making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Tommy Tomlinson. How are you doing, Tommy? I'm doing great, thanks. I'm, uh, I'm just getting over the events of last week. Yeah, I, I, I would be in hiding probably still, but so I give, <laughs> I give you credit. Uh We'll get to that in a second, but first, uh, as a quick aside, how uh, how do you guys feel like Sports on Earth has integrated into the sports media culture in the first couple of months here? Well, I feel pretty good about it. I mean, it's, it, for me, it's been a little crazy because I'm covering college football, and that's been that and the NFL, obviously the big sports this time of year, and so I've been kind of running around a lot, just trying to get all the bases covered. But, um, you know, I feel like we're doing good stuff. I hope people go see us, you know, at sportsonearth.com, check out our stuff, read us. We've got so many good writers there doing such great stuff. Joe, as you mentioned, Chuck Culpepper, Mike Tanier doing stuff on the NFL, Gwen Knapp, um, Sean Powell doing NBA stuff. Just so many good um, writers and reporters. And I feel really good about the work we've put together, sort of a body of work over these first few months. And, you know, um, I hope we continue to the end of this football season and into the end of next year and, and just keep doing good work. All right, college football. Let's start with this. I was thinking about Notre Dame the other day, and I was trying to, was trying to think of a, a, a parallel, I guess. I was trying to think of a team and the 2000 Oklahoma Sooners kind of came to mind. Um, really? Yeah. I, I'm not. It was Stoops' second year as coach. They started the year unranked. Um, they started to build and build and build. They had a couple signature victories. Then they had some games that they had to absolutely save, where it looked like the dream season was over. Texas A&M. Jumps out to mind. Um, I think it was uh, uh, Torrance Marshall who had the pick six that basically saved the season. 
And they went on and played a Florida State team in the BCS championship game that was a considerable favorite. And they ended up winning that game based on their defense. And that was just something I thought of as a parallel. Uh, yeah, I'm bored with that. Or do you have maybe a, a better way to explain what Notre Dame has done here in this season? Well, I'm not sure about the parallel. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm, I remember that Oklahoma State. I mean, that Oklahoma Florida State championship game was being like sort of dreadful. You know, kind of a slog through the mud and stuff. And 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 maybe Notre Dame's best chance would be Alabama. I think what Notre Dame has done, you're right, by the way, they've gotten a couple of huge breaks. You know, the, the play against Stanford where the guy may or may not have crossed the goal line there right at the end. And then, you know, if, if Pitt's kicker makes a field goal in one of those overtimes, you know, we're not having this conversation at all. Right, so, and the two number if, twos. Say what now? The two number twos on yeah, the, the two number right. twos. Right, right. The, the little... Uh, violation they got away with there. So, so, you know, they've caught a couple of breaks. But I think every team catches a couple of breaks. And I don't think that takes away from them being a really good team. I think that Alabama's obviously going to be favored. If I had to bet my life savings one way or the other, I'd certainly bet on Alabama. But I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think some people are saying that because, of, because the SEC has been so good for so many years, and Notre Dame doesn't look super powerful when they play. But that defense is really stout, and Alabama is not quite as good as the past couple of national championship teams who score on them. And, you know, LSU scored on them, A&M scored on them, Georgia scored on them a couple of days ago. And I think it's going to be a really close game. Now, taking your allegiance to the Georgia Bulldogs out of this for a second, when a couple of weeks ago when it appeared like the SEC wasn't going to figure into the national championship picture, as a college football fan, did that I don't I don't know how to put it exactly, but I know for me it made me feel like finally we get to see some t- some other teams compete for this? Well, you know, as, a, as an SEC guy, I've got my conclusion I've come to is sort of the opposite. It's like to win the national championship, if you're uh, outside the SEC, you should have to beat an SEC team first. You know, it's like, it's like whoever is in the one side of the final game, the other team should be an SEC team until somebody beats them. It's like you got to knock out the champ. You know, and so the SEC has won six in a row, had a shot at seven in a row. You know, it's, it would actually be fine with me if Notre Dame won. It's good to see things keep shaking up, up a little different. But the SEC has proven how dominant they've been for those last six years. And so I think it's fitting that <clears throat> Notre Dame has to play an SEC team instead of an Oregon or Kansas State or something like that. Because there's always that little, there always be that little thing hanging there that they didn't beat anybody from the SEC, so they were really, really the best. And now Alabama proved itself to be clearly the best team in the SEC. As Notre Dame beats them, there's no 
there can't be any doubts that Notre Dame's in custody. Now, what do we do with the these other BCS bowl games? The Fiesta Bowl seems pretty interesting with Kansas State and Oregon. You can almost call it the We Blew It Bowl. You know, right, as, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Both of those teams uh, probably should be playing for the net. At least one of the two should probably be playing for the national championship, but they blew it. Uh, I don't know that Wisconsin versus Stanford is really going to rush me to the television. And I know I have no interest in watching NYU play anyone really um that's really what's always been the essential problem with the BCS right I mean because most of the time they've gotten the championship right the problem is is that all these other games stink well that's true and I think it's not just the BCS but it's all the bowls all the way down there's so many tie-ins and sort of forced matchups and stuff. I really wish they would do it like like a draft. You know, like there's a national championship game and then the Fiesta Bowl or whoever we decided is the number two bowl that year gets to pick the next two and then the cotton bowl or whoever gets to pick the two after that and we go down to where the you know the potato bowl is picking the two that nobody else wanted. Um, I think the, the matchups I mean if you look at the BCS, actually I'm kinda of interested in that Northern Illinois Florida State game, just because I want to see, you know, can a team from the MAC play with a top tier you know, Division One team? I don't think they can, but I'd love to see it. And then um, Oregon Kansas State, Burton Reading, just an interesting game. But the rest of them, I mean, Texas A&M Oklahoma is interesting if you live out there, you know, or if you like John Bell, you know. Um, but but as a national game, it doesn't interest me as much. But some of the others, and because all these teams from the SEC and all these other really good two-loss teams didn't get into the BCS matchups, you have these sort of down-ticket bowls that actually might be pretty good. Like LSU and Clemson in the Chick-fil-A Bowl is pretty good. Texas, Oregon State, and Alamo Bowl is pretty good. But, but those are just, they're almost accidental. You know, if we, if we did this in a logical, reasonable way, you could end up with 15 good matches every year. And now we're lucky to get five. How do you handicap the Heisman? Um, I would, I, I'm, I'm actually going to write, a, we're going to have a thing on Sports Honor Thursday where we're going to eat one, three or four of us are going to pick a candidate and start argue for that person. I drew the Johnny Manziel straw. And I think he's going to win because he has the, the single biggest win of any of those teams that are Heisman candidates when he beat Alabama. He's by far the most entertaining player in the country because he can run after him. He's like Marcus Mariota, but more interesting somehow. And um, and A and M is a good story. They came in the Southeastern Conference. You know, I was there at the media days back in July, and everybody kept asking. Kevin someone sort of variations of the question. You know you guys are going to get crushed when you start playing with such a speed, right? And it turns out they didn't get crushed. but they held their own against them. And so, good player, interesting story, great nickname. Yeah. I think if I had to pick who I thought was most deserving, I would probably pick Anti-Table. I think he, he 
brought, he sort of put Notre Dame on his shoulders, was a leader of the defense that was clearly the strongest part of the team, made several huge plays during the season that sort of carried them through some of the difficult wins. And his story is really good, too. I think it's just not quite as, it doesn't have the entertainment value of Manziel. The only thing I worry about Manziel is if there are some sort of crusty old voters who decide they just can't vote for freshmen. If that happens, I think Taylor or Colin has a chance. But I think, I think Johnny Football is going to win. You know, it's interesting because I wonder what you think the effect of winning the Heisman on a player that's coming back will have. We, I mean, we've seen it many times. We've obviously only had the one player win it twice. Um, maybe one or two other players were close but didn't win it. What kind of pressure do you think that puts on a player who is coming back the following year for sure? Well, in some ways, I mean, obviously individually, you can't top that. And so, like, when Tebow came back after winning as a sophomore, you know, Arthur Griffin came back, you know, he won again. Um, you can't top winning the Heisman individually. I think what you can do is say, okay, now our team can get better. Because obviously, A&M did not, you know, win the SEC or the national championship or anything. And so I think Kevin Sumler can say that, that okay, you had a great year. Our team can still lift them up a little higher. But obviously, the fallout from the Heisman, I think, you know, if he doesn't win that, he's going to have all eyes on him next year because he'll be clearly the best kind of returning player in college football. And so people will be geared up and game planning for him in a way they probably didn't. And so I think it will be natural very much in the same way that we'll take Cam Newton came out of Auburn, had this great rookie year with Panthers, and had a very difficult second year because teams have figured out what he does well. They're kind of adjusting for him now. He'll have to adjust again. I think teams will adjust to what Manziel does, and he'll have to readjust. So I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't have as good a year next year as he did this year, but that, you know, maybe he's just as talented, but that he has a more difficult time, you know, translating that to Plus, they're going to actually get to learn a little bit about the kid next year, huh? They're not going to be able to put the muzzle on him. Well, that's true. I mean, he was he was not the starter, not named the starter until pretty late uh, in the, in the you know, uh, summer practice, in fall practice. And so, yeah, I mean, one thing that he could do is figure out, okay, how do we use what he's got and kind of build his team around his skills. So I think A&M's going to be better, too. I really think Kevin someone's uh, a really good coach. And so I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he figures out how to build some offense around him a little better. I just think, you know, this year it was halfway through the season, I think, before people figured out, mm, this guy's pretty special. And um, and I, I think next year, from day one, people are going to know that, and they're going to be all geared up for him. And the question is, how do you adjust to that? How do you react? I think a lot of um, how, how they reacted to Herschel Walker when he was at Georgia. His freshman year, he probably was one of the highest. That was his best year yep. when he was there. He broke up all these 60, 70 yard runs. Well, the two years after that, you know, he won the Heisman's junior year, but they weren't the same. 
people geared up for him a lot more. And he had a lot of like 10 and 12 yard runs, but he rarely broke the long ones because defenses fear not what to do to stop that. And so I think it's really tough for somebody who's been really good in a tough conference where all those coaches are smart and can figure out what to do. Which team that isn't playing for the national championship this year blew the biggest opportunity? I think Oregon. I mean, they, they, they got beat by a really good team. I think people, to me, Stanford and Notre Dame are roughly the same team. Stanford lost, obviously, Notre Dame very close. They lost another game. They blew playing Washington. But Stanford and Notre Dame, talent-wise, coaching wise I think are basically the same team. And so I, I was not shocked that Stanford beat Oregon. But having said that Oregon had Stanford at home and just could not get their offense going against Stanford. Um and and blew a couple of chances in that game. You know, um somebody was mentioning to me I, I had some little story earlier about the biggest play of the season with that play at the goal line in the Stanford game where Stephon Taylor didn't get in. And I had a reader email me and say, well, actually, the biggest play in the season was when Marcus Mariota broke free on a long running at Stanford, and DFD Thomas was standing right next to him, didn't block the Stanford guy who chased him down and tackled him. And, and Oregon didn't score on that drive. And they could have won the game if they had scored. And so that, that missed block, he thought, was the biggest play of the year, and I kind of think that's pretty close to being the biggest play of the year. Oregon could have easily won that game, should have won that game, and if they had won that game, they could play better. There was about a billion points scored in college football this year. Do you see that as a trend that's going to continue? Well, it was interesting to me to see Alabama and Georgia, which both had really stout defenses, give up, you know, uh, collectively 60 points in that SEC championship game. Um, and I think there have been a few big games this year where defenses stood up in the better defense won. You know, the Alabama-LSU game was like that. The, the Notre Dame-Stanford game was like that. The Oregon-Stanford game was like that. So I think, well, certainly the trend is these more kind of pinball style offenses that are, you know, the thing about that, like the spread option or that sort of thing, they're really hard to stop unless you have an elite defense. But if you have an elite defense, you can find ways to shut those offenses down in much the same way that Stanford shut down offenses. And so that's what, to me, intrigues me about this national championship game. Alabama's got a good offense. Um, and, and I think in some ways, this year, their offense is better than their defense. But Notre Dame has found a way to shut down good offenses all year long. Um, and I think the, the both sides of the ball, the matchups, are really intriguing because I think the gap between the Alabama offense and Notre Dame defense is, is not quite as big as people think. And I think the gap between the Alabama defense and Notre Dame offense is not quite as big as people and so I think, I think on both sides of the ball, that could be a really interesting game. To, to answer your question about these bigger offenses, I think there are going to be some teams 
that. It's, I mean, it's more fun to watch those games. It's more fun to play that style of ball. Art is always going to have people coming out there because they can play that style of ball and wear those cool uniforms. But I think still, the elite defensive team, you're, you're seeing two of them in the championship game. Um, in the end, they tend to rise to the top. Do I sense a little upset from Tommy Tomlinson? Do I hear a little bit of uh, Notre Dame could beat Alabama in your voice? Um, I, I, would, I, I, am not a, I am not a sports better. I would say this. I, I saw where Alabama was like a seven or eight favorite um, in sort of the early betting rounds of that. I would, I would take Notre Dame all day long on that day. I think it's going to be like a three or four game. And, and in the close games, you know, it's, it's a crapshoot. Um, the one thing I will say about Alabama is in, in their biggest games this year, they've had to come back to win, and they've done it. They came back to win against LSU. They came back to win against Georgia. They came all the way back, people forget, from 20 to nothing against Texas A&M, and got down to like two-yard line and threw an interception. Right. So they all came back against A&M. I would not be surprised at all if with five minutes left in the national championship game, it's like 17, 13 years And Alabama gets the ball, and they have to score. And, 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 you know, I'm saying this, and, you know, out there public in Alabama could very easily win 42 to 3, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think these are, I think Notre Dame better than everybody gets some credit for. Alabama's not quite as elite as they were in the Atlanta National Championship years. I think it's a close game. It would not shock me in the least. All right, you can find Tommy Tomlinson on Twitter simply by following at Tommy Tomlinson. Of course, he writes for www.sportsonearth.com, one of the great new websites out there. Anything else you would like our listeners to know about, Tommy? Well, I just, you know, uh, I think the only thing thing I'd say is I think this has been the best college football season in my memory. There are, I, I just did my weekly top 10, obviously I had extended to 11. I think there are 11 really good teams this year. Any of those 11 could be any of the other 10. And, and it's a balanced and entertaining year, as I remember in college football. And so I've been, that I got to cover this season and be a part of it. So I'm hoping the ones to come and, and the bowl games and the championship and all that stuff are just as good. Okay, we look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Steven Jackson, Miles Austin, Leon Let, Ocho Cinco, TJ Hushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. All right, I'm all pumped up. Time for a new segment that we created called Five <laughs> on Fantasy. <laughs> um, a couple things to do uh, with Five on Fantasy today. First thing is update the listener league, which has finished its second season. season regular season. Regular season. Yeah. And for the second regular season in a row, the number one seed is me. 
So congratulations to me for dominating this <laughs> league so far. Uh, congratulations to Avataris Jackson for being the number two seed and earning the other bye. And this week in the playoffs, we have the Hungry Hungry Rajis versus Browns Backers and the Men Who Knock versus Lawrence Tanned Hills. So some exciting uh, matchups there, and I want to give Don a second to vent about the unfairness of this <laughs> league. Hey, that's what happens, I guess, in a head-to-head league. I ended up with the most points four in the league, and I my division, I think, was a little better than yours, right? Because I ended up... Actually, your division, everyone had the same record. Yeah, I was like six, was and six and seven. Six. Or, right. I think Going I ended, into the last week. Yeah, I, I lost the last week of the season and got knocked out of the playoffs, even though I was the highest-scoring team in the league. But what can you do? It's uh, probably the worst luck I've ever had in fantasy football as far as that goes, and at least it wasn't a pay league, I guess. Yeah, and we'll figure something out next year as far as getting the people out who kind of bailed on us midway through and screwed with a little bit of the competitive balance. But the nice thing is is I think the people that bailed, bailed real early, so I think everyone kind of got yeah, yeah. a benefit out of it. You know, and it's not like... As far as I could tell, anyone waited till week twelve to bail, and then that gave away a win. Gave away a win right. that affected playoffs. So we'll follow this the next couple of weeks and see if I can repeat. All right, uh, we're doing starts and sits now. This is the playoff time too. So yeah, this is playoffs. So that means anything we did before this, I don't care about anymore. <laughs> That's right. We're just gonna go forward, and it starts and sits for week one of the fantasy playoffs. All right, I did sits this week, my quarterback. And, again, I'm trying to pick non-obvious guys, guys you probably drafted to start. So tread carefully when you take taking my advice here. But I'm going to say sit Matt Ryan this week. He's on the road, uh, and he's against the number eight ranked pass defense in Carolina. It's not going to necessarily be a game where Carolina runs away with it and Matt Ryan needs to get involved in a shootout. I picture more of a low-scoring game. Uh, he might have an okay day, but I don't see him having a monster day by any means. And he's kind of fallen off because at the beginning of the year, he was this gunslinging, greatest thing since sliced bread quarterback that people yeah, always – five-pick game. Yeah, people always thought he would be this guy because he always looked like this in the preseason. Then he kind of was a game manager, and this year he looked to break out. Well, he hasn't gone back to, like, game manager status, but he's he's come back to earth a little bit, so – I would say be cautious with Matt Ryan. I'm going to go the other way in that game and say start Cam Newton. Uh, Newton's hot. He, yeah. He's, he's hot. And I like the idea of playing a hot hand in playoffs. Uh, since week nine, his lowest output is 13 points in ESPN standard leagues, and his other weeks are 21, 18, 37, and 28. And just because the uh, Falcons are 11-1 and one and just embarrassed Drew Brees, that doesn't mean they have the world's greatest pass defense. They're basically right in the middle. And don't forget that Newton has a chance to get you points that very few other quarterbacks can get with his legs. So I think Newton's a great start this week. Yeah, and not to mention you can almost... I kind of like the fact that Newton, on a team that's playing for nothing, is playing against a, a good team because maybe that's something that gets you up. You know, We're, let's see how we can do against the other team's best or the the a team that wants wins and still kind of needs wins 
to try to lock up home field, see how they can do against them. And this could even be a little bit of a trap game for the Falcons. They played the Saints, a division rival, a team that they haven't been good against in the past. They won that game. Now they get a lot of rest for Carolina. And then they got the Giants next week. So uh, going on the road here, this, this might be a tougher game for them than you'd think. My running back sit this week is Ryan Matthews. And this might seem like an obvious one, but he's probably a guy you drafted in this first, second, he was a pro bowler third round. Year. Right. Guy looked good. Uh, at the beginning of the year, it could be argued that it was his coach just not giving him enough touches. But his yards per carry has been well under four. And he just hasn't looked that good. And he's playing probably the best defense in the league in the Steelers. And he's on the road. I don't like anything to do with Ryan Matthews this week. Ryan Matthews or Vic Ballard? Vic Ballard against, I don't know who the Colts are playing. Uh, the Colts are playing Tennessee. I'd say Vic Ballard just because I like his chances for a touchdown better. I don't love either, but... Montel Owens of the Jaguars versus the Jets. Or Ryan Matthews. I'd probably still go Matthews there, but I mean, okay, just Vic, a couple that yeah. were uh, ranked around him. So I was just curious what you thought. All right, I uh, my start is a guy who owes you. If you own this guy and you stuck with this guy, he owes you one big time, and that's Matt Forte. And he's got a pretty good matchup. He gets to play inside on turf. You know, nice fast track against Minnesota. You don't have to worry about the elements at Soldier Field kind of taking them out of the game. And you could see against Seattle last week him sort of building his confidence a little bit. And you also seen uh, the Bears seemingly more interested in getting him involved in the passing yeah, and over, game. Yeah, over 20 carries. and You know, so I think uh, he's a guy who is, look at Brandon Marshall can't catch 10 to 12 passes every week and have the Bears think that they're going to move the ball. It's too much. They need Forte, and they need to get him going now. And he owes you one because of where you drafted him and how he's performed this year. So I say don't let your first round or second round pick be on the bench the week he blows up in the playoffs. All right, my last sit at wide receiver this week is the Cowboys' Miles Austin, uh, a guy that at the beginning of the year maybe you got as a bargain because he was drafted a little bit late because people were worried about injury or whatever, and he paid off for you. But lately he's been – Ever since his hamstring injury, it yeah. just went downhill. Hamstrings are the worst things for a receiver, and he's been nagged by it. And Romo and Des Bryant finally seem like they're on the same page. Plus Witten. Yeah, Jason Witten's back catching 15 balls a game, it seems like. So I don't love Miles Austin on the road against a, a decent Bengals defense. All right, uh, my start at wide receiver is a guy that was kind of written off and uh, then had a resurgence, and now it's kind of come back to earth a little bit, and that's Reggie Wayne. Um, it seems like luck has over the last couple of weeks, maybe not depended on the veteran as much as he did earlier in the year and is developing some of the relationships with the younger receivers that he could see blossoming into long-term relationships. But Wayne's still a very talented 
talented receiver, and they have a great matchup against Tennessee. And again, I'd hate to see a bench Reggie Wayne and have him blow up on your bench in a playoff week. So yeah, I would definitely make sure you got Wayne in your lineup. All right, pickups real quick this week. Uh, There's not a ton out there. Chris Givens has put together a couple back-to-back solid weeks. Uh, Josh Gordon and Brandon Myers. Josh Gordon, the receiver from Cleveland, and Brandon Myers, the tight end from Oakland. If you don't, if these guys aren't owned in your league, they probably should be. I had the misfortune of picking up Gordon and then dropping him, and now I'm my third receiver is a little bit weak because of injury and whatever. But Gordon uh, looks good, and he looks like more than just a home run threat. Like you, this first game, he would catch three catches for 80 yards and a TD, but now he's putting it together a little bit more and looks like more of a complete player. And also on at the running back position, if Noshan Moreno, Marcel Reese, or Jonathan Dwyer are unowned, they should be owned. Uh, they've all been really impressive. Reese has been really, really impressive. Maybe the, like other than Myers, the lone bright spots in Oakland this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to add other than that because there's just it's nothing. There's not much there. I think this is what I think. You have the team that you brought to the playoffs. Right with you, and and that's what you need to depend on to get to the next round. The and, team that got you there. And the last part we were going to talk about is how, if at all, you change your strategy. And the one thing I can say about the free agent pickups is, don't be afraid to drop a guy that, at this point, that maybe was solid. Uh, Jordy Nelson probably isn't droppable by any means, but he's on my bench right now. And it, I was just talking to Steve before we started recording, saying until he puts in a good game. I don't think I can start him because every time it seems like he comes back from injury, he's one play away from an injury, and uh, you just can't rely on that. And if you're stashing a guy for depth, this isn't the time to have depth. You've only got three weeks left in your fantasy season, so you need to pick up guys that you're going to play now. If you have an average guy like a Nate Washington, I'm looking at my bench in a league right now, that's a guy that's perfect for a drop candidate go out find a guy that uh maybe has more upside maybe has a better matchup for that week or two that i'm gonna need him and pick up that guy because there's no point in having a lot of depth here if you've got handcuffs probably not a lot of point in keeping them around unless you've got a deep bench if you need some something somewhere else adrian peterson's handcuff isn't going to help you now if peterson's in your lineup and he goes down you're probably screwed anyway so there's no point in keeping around toby gerhardt at this point Pick up a guy that can help you in the, the, in the short term. The only thing I would say is if you're going to go down, go down with your studs. Yeah. You know what I mean? If if your team's going to sink and you're going to be gone, the only thing I would add to put that, your studs in. Right. The only thing I would add to that is, like, that's just like the you're saying don't get cute. Like, don't. Put, don't overthink it. Don't overthink matchups. Peterson's playing Chicago this week, the fourth best rushing defense. Don't even think about taking them out of your lineup but you've also it's been 13 weeks if you haven't figured out that someone like ryan matthews or mendenhall or fitzgerald maybe aren't studs this year then you might want to start thinking that they're not going to be the studs this year and maybe get somebody else in there like we said a vic ballard might have a better matchup than ryan matthews this week uh i think that and this maybe goes against what i said but i think i might start Hilton over Fitzgerald this week. I just don't know if I can put That's a Fitzgerald pretty extreme, out there again. Right. No, I mean, 
When was the last time Fitzgerald had more than three catches in a game? Yeah, they've said in the past, like there's a kind of an adage that a great receiver will be good no matter who his quarterback is, fantasy-wise anyway. That's what I always thought. Fitzgerald has always proven that, but his quarterbacks, I'm not watching Arizona. It's, it sounds like there's probably not a lot worse than watching Arizona games. Now, but, uh, the one caveat to that is if they get Skelton or Cobb, in, right, then you've got to play him. I I change my mind probably, and will, and will and will play uh, Fitzgerald. But I'm looking at the ESPN projections right now. He's playing this Seattle this week. He's playing Seattle. I'm having a a tough time finding him, and I'm down to Josh Gordon. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. Right? No, I I believe it. He he's projected for for six points this week. Obviously, like we, it's a no-brainer, but play to win now. His since his bye week, week ten, he has one, three, and two points. Here's Lindley, and that's when that Lindley. nonsense started. Yeah, Lindley took over. He went ten for thirty-one against the Jets. And now, granted, I know the Jets are a good defense, but they're not exactly getting a break against Seattle. I will say though, Fitzgerald did get seven targets in the game and only caught one. I didn't watch that game. I don't know how many of those were eight feet over his head. He doesn't any... drop much. No, he doesn't. I, there's maybe nobody better at going up in the air and getting a ball than him. But, yeah, seven targets, one catch. That's It's a bad quarterback situation there. We're going off on a Fitzgerald tangent. But, yeah, don't don't change your strategy too much because of the playoffs. But, like I said, don't be afraid to drop a guy unless you really think your opponent's going to pick him up and use him against you. But play to win now. More more so than in the regular season. The regular season, you can afford to stash guys. There's really no point at this point. To... Is there really no chance Percy Harvin's going to play this week? Is he really still out? It sounds like there's about no chance. He Jeez. didn't even make the flight last week. This so... is the worst injury ever. Remember when it happened? It was like, uh, oh, it's just going to be like a one-week thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got him in a league where I have a bye, so thank God for that. All right, that's it for 5 on Fantasy. We're going to take a break and come back with Chris Burke from SportsIllustrated.com. You know what? I just thought of something. Did you tell me last time you don't live in Arlington, Virginia anymore? Uh, no, I actually live in Ann Arbor now. Oh, okay. You moved. Uh, yeah, you yeah. moved back to me. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you told me that. Yeah, I moved uh, back in April, I think. April or March, I can't. Okay. Here we go. Our next guest is from East Grand Rapids, Michigan, and is a graduate of the University of Michigan. He has worked as an NFL editor, blogger, and an associate producer for Fan House. Today he lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where he is a featured NFL blogger for SportsIllustrated.com. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the talented Chris Burke. What's up, Chris? Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, I always love having you on. Uh, I love reading the blog and... Uh, keeping up with the different things that seem to interest you on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis. And I guess 
one thing that I've been thinking about lately is I wonder if I really wouldn't want to have a team that didn't have a quarterback right now because there sure has been a plethora of what seemed like future NFL stars to have come out of college in the last couple of years. And I'm starting to wonder if that cupboard may be dry. I know there was a lot of buzz for Geno Smith in the beginning of the year, and then that kind of faded. And we might have a redshirt freshman win the Heisman Trophy, and there's always going to be guys, but it might be a while before we have a couple-year stretch where we have Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin III and Cam Newton and just all these guys that have infested the league. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you sort of look at that class for next this coming draft and uh, heading into the college football season, I think everyone sort of just assumed Matt Barkley would be up to the top and you know, maybe a guy like Tyler Wilson or Landry Jones or something would make a run up there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Geno Smith is obviously a talented guy, but does he need to be in the right system? I mean, he might be in that sort of spot where he needs to find that the exact offense, like a, you know, like RG3 landed in Washington, whether they are willing to work around him. So um, it's, it's definitely tough. I mean, there are some backups out there. If you, if teams feel like taking a shot, uh, like, I like Matt Flynn in Seattle or, uh, Alex Smith might be available come next year. Right. Uh, Vic, Michael Vic might even be available. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't know that we're going to see those top five impact pick quarterbacks over the next couple of years, which is why, you know, you look back on the Redskins selling the farm to go up and get, uh, Robert Griffin, and you know, certainly twelve games into his rookie season, it looks like it was worth it. Uh, especially when you compare him to, you know, a, a Minnesota or a Jacksonville, you know, teams that have taken a shot on these high picks that don't really seem to be panning out so well. Yeah, Gabbard for sure, and Ponder, he's shown flashes, but he also can put up a stinker like I have never seen a stinker from time to time. You mentioned Alex Smith. What were your thoughts on how that was handled? Uh, it's tough because you can certainly understand Alex Smith's point of view. Uh, he was playing really well, especially by Alex Smith's standards uh, prior to being injured. And then you know, he goes down with the concussion, and sort of his argument was, well, NFL really wants people to players to admit when they have these injuries like this, but if we're going to lose our jobs over it, is it worth it for us? Um, but at the same time, I mean, uh, this the fourth quarter, third and fourth quarter in overtime of the of, uh, San Francisco game against St. Louis aside, you can see why Jim Harbaugh would want Colin Kaepernick in there. He brings that added dimension uh, to their offense where he can take off on the ground. He so far, has made good decisions through the air, at least, other than, uh, you know, he had the fumble late in that game uh, against the Rams. But um, when you're in such a win-now league and the 49ers are right there as a Super Bowl contender, with the, they have the defense in place to win it. They have uh, 
they added pieces on offense, I feel like they can win there. You really have to go with the hot hand. You have to go with who you think can get you through to February. And uh, I guess that if they think Colin Kaepernick's the right guy for that job, I don't know how you can argue against it. <laughs> yeah. It's just such a tough situation because they got so close with Alex last year, and Alex wasn't the one who fumbled twice to prevent them from going to the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? So it just seems like a really a really difficult decision. One that I'm glad that I didn't have to make. And it's kind of funny that the guy who did have to make it was a Harbaugh who both kind of have a reputation of kind of being curmudgeons. So I kind of thought that that was kind of, uh, kind of interesting. Uh, a couple other things. Do you believe in these teams with the great records at the top of the standings right now? Like, do you believe in Atlanta? Do you think they're the best team in the NFC? You know, I was, like most people, I think, skeptical of Atlanta for most of the year. Um, But the last few weeks, they really have... I don't want to say surprise me, but I think by beating Tampa Bay the way they did and then turning around and, and uh, beating New Orleans, um, they really showed me the types of things that you would want to see from a team that you think could go all the way, which is they want on the road and one, which they may not have to do until the Super Bowl, but they went on the road and one against the Bucks. Uh, they played a really good defense against New Orleans, which is not an easy thing to do. And suddenly, you know, in the last week or two, they all of a sudden have found a re-energized Michael Turner, which they didn't have before. So now they can run the ball with, with him and Duck his Rogers. So uh, I think they're certainly up there. I'm, I mean, I don't know that you can say they're the definite favorites. That it would be a major surprise if they lost in the playoffs, but. There's flaws in every other team up there, too. I mean, Green Bay has struggled at times. We know Chicago has its issues. Uh, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen the rest of the way in the NFC East. Um, and then San Francisco, like we just talked about, is sort of unsettled at the most important position in the sport. So uh, in terms of stability, in terms of going into the playoffs, knowing exactly who they are and what works for them, the Falcons are in great shape, so they're going to be dangerous. Uh, whether that means they can get a playoff win finally and get back to the Super Bowl, I don't know. I, I don't know about you, but if I would want to be any team in the NFC right now, I, I really think I'd want to be Green Bay. Um, I you know it, they, they might not get a bye, which is disappointing, but they're still certainly in the running for one. It, but it just seems like they're a little under the radar because of uh, the way their season started, and I think that they're still the kind of team that can pl- can do something better than anyone else, and that's play offense. I think that their offense can play at a level higher than anyone else in the entire National Football League. Yeah, they're certainly dangerous. Uh, for them, it seems so much about it. Well, two things really. Uh, you know, first of all. They've had some injury issues, which is the type of thing that can easily derail uh, a team come playoff time. You know, offensive line's already kind of a mess, and they've been banged up there. Uh, Clay Matthews, Charles Woodson. I mean, they just got Greg Dennings back, and now they lose Jordy Nelson. So that's the type of stuff that 
when you get in the playoffs, if you're down three or four really important players, uh, it can be tough to overcome. But the other thing is that maybe as much as any other team in the NFC, at least, they really need uh, the right matchup, I think, once they get to the postseason, assuming they get there, which it looks like they will. I mean, we've seen them struggle now twice uh, in the past year with the Giants. Um, and those teams that have a really good defensive line that can sort of rush four and drop seven in the coverage uh, give them trouble um, because they can get there. Rodgers and also can sort of cover the receivers downfield. So uh, if they run into the Giants again or even San Francisco, can that offense click at a high enough level to get the job done? Uh, you'd think it, it can on a good day with Aaron Rodgers factor, you know, maybe the best quarterback in the NFL, certainly one of the best quarterbacks, but we've also seen that they're vulnerable if they're not playing at, at their uh, top level. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to see what Houston New England looks like on Monday. Yeah, I, that it's one of the games I've been waiting for all season. I think it'll be really interesting and probably give us a pretty good idea what to expect uh, come the playoffs, because I don't know that the Houston defense is quite as good as people think it is. Uh, it's good, certainly, but I don't know that it's going to take over and dominate on playoff time, and this is a big test for them. Even with, you know, Gronkowski out of the lineup, now Julian Edelman out of the lineup for the Patriots, you have to figure that New England will find a way to move the football. So um, it'll be interesting to see how Houston responds to that and if Matt Schaub and his offense can put up points uh, to match if they need to. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I kind of had this theory because, I, like I was saying earlier, I was having trouble believing in the teams with the top records in the league, and I kind of felt like this could be one of those years, very similar to last year, where a team kind of comes out of nowhere and makes a run and wins the Super Bowl. Now, in the last few weeks, I've been feeling less and less like that and feeling more and more like one of these New England, Baltimore, Houston, Atlanta, Green Bay types is going to win the Super Bowl. But if there was a team that's kind of off the radar right now that could make a run similar to what the Giants did last year, who is it for you? Uh, Well, I think they're a little back on the radar now because of how they won this past week, but I don't think it sort of goes for every year, but I don't think you can overlook Pittsburgh right now. Um, You know, if they can hold on here and get into the playoffs, they get Ben Roethlisberger back and they sort of figure out their run game a little and Troy Polamalu is healthy. I mean, they're the type of team that's sort of been through the ringer and they know what it takes to win those games and they're not going to run into anyone that they haven't seen before that they're going to feel overwhelmed playing against. So I think they're dangerous. Um, even assuming that they probably have to win three road games to get to the Super Bowl, I think the type of team that could get hot and do that the way the Giants did uh, last year. So, you know, that's that's certainly the team that I think you have to look out for in the AFC. The NFC, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think probably whoever wins the NFC East is going to be a tricky out. Um, they'll be at home that first game, and... Uh, the Cowboys uh, fail to impress me every week, but I think the Giants and, the, and even the Redskins, to some extent, have the type of uh, players and playmakers that can win you a couple games just because of their talent level. So, um, 
it's kind of an easy answer because we saw the Giants do it last year, but I think that's where you have to look in the NFC. All right, a couple more teams and we'll let you go. Denver is a team that started slow, lost a couple games, one in particular against Atlanta where you felt like if it was a five-quarter game, they would have won it, you know, in terms of they just couldn't get going, it seemed like. And lately it seems like everything's coming together. They're going to very easily win their division. Uh, They're certainly in the running for a bye. Uh, what do you think about Peyton Manning and the Broncos? Yeah, well, like you said, it does seem like it's coming together, and it's not just Peyton Manning. That defense has been pretty good, and Bob oh, Miller yeah. is in the mix for probably defensive player of the year. So they're doing it on both sides of the ball, but at the same time, you know, I think the danger for them is uh, sort of that second point you mentioned, Tom, that they've already got the AFC West locked up. You know, they've won seven in a row. They I'd be surprised really to see them three and one these last four. But uh, aside from playing to get into that number two seed, or I guess if they want to move up from the four to the three seed, I mean, how much are they going? How how are they going to keep the, their foot on the pedal? I guess um, down the stretch here, and if not, you know, can you keep Peyton Manning sharp if you're sort of playing it safe in the last two or three weeks? I think that'll be the trick. It's always a trick for teams that sort of clinch early and one that we'll see uh, it's sort of a factor in how Atlanta will do. You know, that division's locked up already, too. So that's really the danger for them. I think they have the offense and they have the defense to be competitive come playoff time. But, you know, when you win seven games in the middle of the season, you have to wonder if uh, the next loss is going to be the one that ends your year yeah and I kind of uh said that they're would easily win the division they have won the division (laughs) that (laughs) that's done and over with um I live in a city Buffalo New York where we were lucky enough to have a once in a generation quarterback in Jim Kelly a hall of famer a guy who led the team to four Super Bowls and They've never been able to replace him. They've never been close. And there's many examples of that out there. I think uh, Miami would be one with Marino, although the jury certainly is still out on Tannehill. Um, And there's countless examples of teams who have these once-in-a-generation quarterbacks, and then they just can't replace them. Uh, Totally dead theory in Indianapolis. Uh, they had their once-in-a-generation quarterback in Peyton Manning and then lucked into the next uh, quarterback of a generation in Andrew Luck. What have your thoughts been on uh, what the Colts have been able to accomplish and uh, the level that Aaron, or, um, excuse me, Andrew Luck has been able to play at in his rookie season? Uh, I certainly don't think you can take anything away from the Colts. Uh, even, as you said, they sort of, fell backwards into into getting luck, which is, you know, it's just that sort of stroke of good fortune that can turn a franchise around. I mean, the same type of thing happens in in sports all all the time. You look at the Penguins getting Crosby, uh, Malkin, you know, a couple years in a row. That's the type of thing where you just, you work so hard to sort of pry free agents away and plan your draft strategies and all that. And then every once in a while, you just hit that home run where it totally changes things. So, um, 
but you know, you can't take away from what they've done, especially the turmoil they've gone through with, you know, having their head coach leave uh, to treat cancer uh, or for cancer treatment. I guess be a better way to say that. Uh, yeah, they've had a lot of adversity to overcome, but uh, they've done so and they keep winning games and they keep showing that medal to win games on the stretch, like Sunday against Detroit. So. Um, I was just having a conversation with a couple of people earlier today uh, where Andrew Luck is right now compared to Robert Griffin III and to, and I guess also Russell Wilson in that Rookie of the Year debate. You know, how much do you weigh the team's success versus just the individual performance and stats and all that sort of stuff? I, I certainly think you can make a case, uh, obviously, for Luck. Um, and I think he's also probably got a bit of a case for MVP if they make the playoffs. I don't think he'll win. Uh, you know, I don't know that he'll even really contend for it, but I, I think you could argue that he's been the most valuable player in this league with how they've turned around uh, really without making any other major moves. They've added bits and pieces around him, but it hasn't been a total overhaul like you would normally see when you make that type of draft pick. So, uh I think it's the best story in football this year, and it looks like it's going to continue on into the playoffs. All right, the Audible's blog is on SI.com, Chris Burke on the NFL. You can follow him on Twitter, Chris, B-U-R-K-E underscore S-I. Anything else you would like the readers to know about the work of Chris Burke? (laughs) No, I think you covered it. I hopefully... uh... You know, people uh, know that they can come chat with me on Twitter. It's the one thing that I think people don't always realize, that I'm pretty open to uh, striking up a conversation, especially during the day or during a football Sunday, if they have something on their mind and want to chat. That's what I'm there for. So uh certainly welcome everyone to come do that. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Chris. All right, we want to thank Chris Burke for being on the show today. One last segment, pick four. Before we can get to that, I want to mention to check us out at www.facebook.com slash sportscasters. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Feel free to email us at sportscasters at gmail.com, and you can find this information at our website, www.sports-casters.com, with some fancy web work that Don did to get some... <laughs> Uh, past Old numbers stuff out, yeah. uh, on there and uh, clean up some errors and also put up a really nice logo that will link you to our other podcast at footballnation.com, right. which you can find by going to www.footballnation.com. And if it happens to be the day or two after it comes out, it's usually in the news feed. If it's no longer in the news feed and you can't find it, just click on podcasts uh, right along the top tabs there and you'll find us no problem. All right, so that leads us to pick four. Last time we did a show, I had the Bills minus one over the Dolphins, won that one 19-10. I also had the Heat over the Nuggets, 98-93, won that one. I took the Colts plus 10 over the Patriots, lost that one 
Oh, I that was had, the last show, huh? Boy, I, had, I didn't do well. I had Breeze, Rogers, and Brady plus a thousand. They got to seven eighty six because Breeze just like took his feet off the brakes against Oakland and just bullshit. <laughs> uh, I went two and two. I'm seven and five for the season. Uh, Dom won the Packers minus three over the Lions, twenty four to twenty. Lost the same Patriots and Colts game. I lost. Also lost the uh, Bears plus five over the 49ers and the Colts even over the Patriots, one and three, five and seven on the year. Yuck. I'm no better in this in real life either. I do this pool and I've had a rough time with that too. I won the weekly prize once, but uh, anyway. Game of the week this week, Texans at Patriots. Uh, that's the Monday night game on ESPN. 8.30 kickoff. I'm going to take the Patriots minus the four points. To me, this feels like the Texans are kind of the new kid in town and the Patriots are the, the, the old champion. And you got you got to beat the champion first. So I'm going to take the Patriots and say that uh, the Texans aren't quite there yet. Yeah, I think this is one of the most anticipated games of the season. Maybe not before the season started. No, right. But certainly as the season gone has, has progressed, people have looked at this game as a, a potential uh, really exciting game, and I kind of believe what Don believes, and that's I'm not ready to say that the Texans can go to New England and win in December. Yeah, because I've seen too many teams quarterback by guys like Peyton Manning not be able to do that, and this team's quarterback by Matt Schaub. So I'm going to stick with Brady and the Patriots. My worldwide leader pick this week. I'm going to go with the Thursday night game. Uh, Broncos at the Raiders. If you're a fantasy player, I guess there's some interest in that game. But otherwise, it looks like it's going to be a blowout. The Broncos are getting or are giving 11 points on the road, and I don't think that's enough. So I'm going to take the Broncos. Uh, like I talked about earlier, I love Von Miller. I like that defense a lot, and I don't see any reason to think the Patriots are going to or the Raiders are going to slow down Peyton Manning. So I couldn't believe it was only 11. Only even on the road, huh? I thought it was going to be 13, 14. Yeah. When I saw 11, I jumped all over it. Yeah, so that's Thursday night, 820 on the NFL Network. Give me the Broncos minus the points. Same here. My host choice this week, I'm going to go Ravens at the Redskins. That's a 1 o'clock game at CBS. Pretty interesting game. Both teams, uh, the Ravens are in the driver's seat for a playoff spot, but the Redskins are trying to fight to stay in one. Redskins are at home. They just had an impressive win over the Giants. and They're actually favored in this game by three. Uh, again, kind of the same logic as the Texans-Patriots. The Ravens, to me, are the savvy veterans. They've been there before. They know how to win. And to be getting points against a team with the worst record, I know probably a better quarterback, but I'm going to take the Ravens on the road plus the three. All right, I am going to continue to ride the Miami Heat any chance possible. I'm going to take the Heat over the Knicks. That game's Thursday, December 6th at 8 o'clock on TNT. you got to love those Thursday night TNT basketball games. Yeah. My last, my bold prediction for this week. I looked at the the football games for the upcoming week on ESPN, and I'm looking at the, the lines here, and one of them stood out to me, and I'm, I just don't get it. Uh, the Chargers have nothing to play for, 4-8. and eight, Their season's over. Go on the road against the Steelers where Ben Roethlisberger sounds like he's going to return. Uh, that may not be set in stone yet, but it sounds like he's going to return. And even still, even if he's not going to return, Charlie Batch just 
beat the Ravens on the road. I have this game at even, according to ESPN. And if that's not the case, if that's a typo by ESPN, because it seems like it has to be, I will somehow fix this. But I'll take the Steelers. I'll give them. I'll make them minus seven. So if they're even right now, I guess that's infinitely more points that <laughs> I'm taking. But I'll, I'll take the Steelers minus seven over the Chargers. If it turns out this line is wrong, just double whatever the actual line is, and I'll take the Steelers. I just I don't think the Chargers have anything to play for, and I don't think they're that mentally tough a team. So I don't see them doing much toward or down the end of the stretch here. I've I mentioned a lot about how I think Bounty Gate and not having Sean Payton has worn on Drew Brees and how I've seen some exhaustion and I've seen him make mental errors that he doesn't make. And he's had a long time to think about that. And the Saints are getting five points to go play in New York against the Giants, and I'm going to take the Saints straight up to beat the Giants. I just think that there's no way Drew Brees plays three games like he just played, and I think the rest of the team is playing good enough to beat the Giants if Drew Brees is at his top form. For sure. All right. Don't forget to check out Football Nation. Adam uh, ranks the guest this week over there. And uh, Don, you can cue that. All right.